The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here's your top five at five. Can this record-breaking rally roll on? Stocks at record highs ahead of another huge week. We'll show you the futures. Despite this run, where have all the day traders gone? Why one big bank on why none of the fast money kids seems to care about stocks anymore? Thank you, China. After a wild weekend with huge swings, crypto surging back right now. China's government changes its tone in a big way. And seriously, what's going on with Dogecoin? No one behind the wheel. New video of the fiery Tesla crash that left two dead as the investigation continues on apparently why nobody was driving. And 50% down as America hits a huge milestone in the race to get vaccinated. We'll show you the latest big numbers. It is Monday, April 19th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. And good Monday, I'm Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us and kicking off your week. Hope you had a great one wherever you may be. Well, let's kick off your Monday with a look at the futures. We're flat to maybe slightly lower. We'll call that flat. Long way to go today this week. Remember, we are enjoying some real strength in stocks lately. We'll see if that carries over to today, April. All in all, a winning month for the markets. The Dow, S&P, and NASDAQ 100 all coming off new record highs. The Dow Transports, pretty much a good leading economic indicator, coming off their longest weekly win streak since, get this, all the way back in 1989. Wow. If you're not paying attention at home, you should. The Dow 30 up four weeks in a row. The two best performers lately, names you know, Apple and Microsoft month to date, up 10 and 10.5% respectively. All this as we all head into another pretty busy week of earnings with one third of the Dow 30 reporting. Thursday will be the busiest day of the season. AT&T, Intel, DR Horton, American Airlines, all more due out then. But today, It's all about Big Blue, IBM, Coca-Cola, and United. What is not just stock seeing investor love? Gold, also at its highest level since February this morning, 1787 per ounce. And our new weekly check on wood. We're kidding. Well, sort of. But how can we ignore lumber prices? Up once again. Upper, (laughs) upper, well, why not? Lumber is about ready to break $1,300 on the upside. Put that into perspective, for most of the last number of years, lumber was boring, up at about $400 to $500 per contract. Now we're nearly at $1,300. Well, after a wild weekend that saw Bitcoin drop as low as, you know, just $52,000 after hitting $64,000, so a 12,000-point drop, Bitcoin is up again, kind of splitting the difference. We're up to $57,000 right now, and by the way, The mysterious Dogecoin also appears to be all bark and all bite. See what we did there? It is surging again. It's up like 700% 
in a matter of days. Mark Yusko will be here in a few minutes to talk more about Bitcoin, crypto, and whatever else we get to. Well, before we get to that and more in the markets and your money, let's get a quick hit on some key headlines to kick off the week, shall we? What exactly is going on with Jack Ma? Ant Group reportedly exploring options for its founder, Jack Ma, the founder of Alibaba, to divest his stake in Ant Group and give up control. According to report Reuters, the move is seen as a way to appease Chinese regulators that have recently come down hard on all things Alibaba or Jack Ma related. Ant Group, however, dismissing that report, releasing a statement on Twitter calling the article, quote, baseless. Well, if you've got a Peloton treadmill plus and kids, listen up. U.S. safety regulators are now saying that you should stop using the Tread Plus treadmill if small kids or pets are present. The recommendation comes one month after Peloton disclosed an accident involving the treadmill that did result in the death of a child. The U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission says it knows of about 39 incidents with reports of a pet or object getting sucked underneath the treadmill. Now in response, Peloton is hitting back calling the agency's claims inaccurate and says there is no reason to stop using the treadmill if people simply read the safety manual and do not allow kids or pets to come near it. Still, stock is down about 6% this morning. And Grab, a co-founder and CEO Anthony Tan, is set to gain some very outsized voting power when they list on the NASDAQ later on this year. Who is Grab? Well, it's a ride-sharing company like Uber based in Asia. Now, Tan owns just 2% of the company, but will gain more than 60% of the voting power when they list on the NASDAQ. That, my friends, incredibly rare. And to level equal and only to that of Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg in terms of voting power versus ownership stake. All right, news down. Let's jump right back and get to more on these record markets. The Dow and S&P up four weeks in a row. Nearly every stock is higher lately. And we don't mean just every stock in America. I mean, every single index but one, India's Sensex, is higher this month, anywhere in the world. And that goes along with pretty much any other asset class you look at, too. Throw a dart. Any commodity, any crypto, any stock, any NFT, whatever it is, it's going to be higher. Let's talk more now about it. Joining us, Silvercrest Asset Management Managing Director Robert Teeter. Robert, I'm running out of questions, honestly, because Every time we talk every few months with anybody, you say, well, how much higher can things go? Apparently, much higher. It's just, I guess it's just a huge surge of client cash, is it not? Yeah, well, it's nice to see you again, Brian. It certainly has been a a rally around the world and a rally just about everywhere. Um, You know, one of the things that we're looking at when you mention a situation like India is that India is still battling COVID. uh, So that puts them at one end of the spectrum. You know, something like China is at the other end. China's been out of COVID for a year. Uh, that market's starting to stall a bit. And I think it foreshadows a bit where the U.S. might be headed. Um, we're moving through COVID pretty quickly. We're getting back to normal. And I think we have to start watching, you know, when's the recovery trade going to come to an end? And is that, what is exactly that trade? I understand the easy names, you know, the Zooms, the, the things we think of as purely sort of stuck at home. Then we look at cyclicals. We look at economic rebound. How deep into the cyclicals or the, quote, recovery trade, Robert, are you going from a stock perspective? 
Yeah, well, I think there's still a window here for a lot of those things to work, but we're starting to run out of room. So one of the things we've done is go through the 69 industry groups in the S&P. When you look through that, there's very little that hasn't recovered. In fact, there's only about 7% of market cap by industry group um, that's still negative. In fact, 80% is up more than 10% dating back to pre-COVID. So you've had a lot of names that have recovered uh, well beyond what you might have expected from uh, the disruption that's been seen in COVID. And so we think we're running out of a a window here on the recovery trade. It's it's starting to run out of steam, I think. And that might be part of what we're seeing uh, in recent months with the facts that you mentioned on the on the Dow these past couple of weeks. Mm. So what do we do with our money? Sock in drawer type time, Robert? I mean, every single thing. I mean, literally everything is higher. Yeah, it's, it's a great time for investors, and I think that may continue for a while. Uh, certainly, as you get great results reported this quarter, you mentioned a lot of names reporting now, and earnings are going to be very strong. Uh, we see that really booming economy that's happening. That's going to continue a bit longer as well. But I think when we get out into the summer, we're going to have to start thinking about what's the normal environment look like. And the normal environment is still a good environment. You know, For a long time, we've had positive GDP growth. Uh, that set the stage for upper single-digit earnings growth, and that's a good environment for investors. And so I think it might just be time to get a little bit more selective, be a little bit more careful about the timeline and be aware of the fact that we've got a great window going on here for recovery, um, but it's probably not going to last forever. All right. Sort of a, a cautiously optimistic, semi-bullish view from Robert Teeter of Silvercrest as we all look to come out of this. Robert Teeter, a real pleasure. Have a great day and a great week. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, Well, you're welcome. We are just getting started. On the other side of this quick break, no one doing better work on COVID and stocks lately than Tom Lee. And he is here to tell you why one group of stocks is set to soar and why it may all be based on one specific commodity. The video is a hint. Plus, we are live at a conference. That's right, in person with thousands of people. But it's not here. Eunice Yoon at the Shanghai Auto Show, what it looks like and what the big news is. And later on, breaking down the Bitcoin bust and boom. And that was just yesterday. Mark Yusko is here now to weigh in on why crypto should move higher and what exactly is going on with Dogecoin. A very busy hour still ahead. Dow futures down 80. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back. Well, nobody is doing better work on COVID and stocks and everything else than Tom Lee right now. His near daily research notes are a must read on Wall Street and also my front porch. He had some sanity 
and dare I say, some optimism to the fight against COVID and also how to invest around it. Now, one of his big ideas lately is that oil may control the direction of stocks going forward, particularly one group of stocks. And oil has started to firm back up again after being weak the last couple of weeks. This afternoon, data from the IEA says the massive oil glut had collected during the pandemic has almost entirely dried up. Demand is up. Production has been down for a while. The IEA now says barely a fifth of the surplus that flooded into storage tanks and tankers ahead of crude's crash last year remains intact. In other words, the market is tightening up. For more on this and the keys that crude may hold for the stock market is Tom Lee, Fundstrat Global Advisors, co-founder, managing partner, and head of research, also a CBC contributor. Tom, it's good to have you on. Listen, I know it's early, but you, you know I've been tagging your stuff on social media. I feel like you're one of the few voices out there that looks past the scary headlines. We actually dive into the numbers and say, okay, there's bad stuff here, but overall, the trend has been pretty good. That could increase the consumer. That could tighten oil up. And that could help stocks tie it all together for us. Uh, yeah, Brian, uh, that's a great summary. Uh, oil demand is still a couple million barrels lower per day in the U.S. than it was before the pandemic. Uh, a lot of that is jet fuel. What investors may not appreciate is that uh, oil demand and oil prices have been pretty highly correlated to how the cyclical trade's been working. And I think it's, it's all connected because, as you know, uh, GDP activity is linked to oil output. In fact, you know, if you think about it in sort of rough terms, for every one percentage point of uh, GDP growth, it's going to be uh, about 1% demand growth for oil. And that's a strange ratio, but it does mean that if, if we're, in fact, talking about a reopening happening, oil demand comes back. I think investors aren't still comfortable with the idea that oil prices will actually rebound in that process. And if it does, uh, it's really correlated with energy stocks making a a strong recovery. And energy stocks are still 20% lower than they were before the pandemic started. Um, And again, as I mentioned, interestingly, relative performance of energy prices uh, and oil especially has a lot to do with how cyclical stocks are trading. So I think it really just tells us whether the reopening stocks are actually going to work. And it has to do with whether, in fact, oil demand is going to come back. And that, that to me, Tom, is the most amazing part, looking at all your charts, the correlations, et cetera, because all we've heard the last few years is oil's dead, ESG, I won't own it, I don't want it, it's going out, it doesn't matter, energy sector is smaller than it's ever been. And those things may all be very true for a lot of big-time investors. But you have connected the dots Oil still matters to big parts of the equity market. Do we know why? Uh, yeah, I mean, oil is uh, really pretty central. And, and part of it is for every unit of activity that takes place, you know, we're, we're, we're going to have to burn or consume some form of energy. And today that isn't provided by renewable sources. But interestingly, the energy sector has one of the best supply-demand alignments taking place because policy is kind of restricting, you know, growth or, or new capital coming in, and financial capital's been really restricted. So, oil is a sector where there's very limited supply, and now it looks like on the margin, uh, substantial incremental demand growth. And if people are correct that GDP levels are going to be reattained, you know, 2019 levels, 
that would be a surprise to the market because that would be really pushing demand higher for oil. And, of course, that would mean energy stocks are up and really strengthens the cyclical trade. Yeah, we know from our OPEC meetings, the Saudis have been very disciplined, also disciplined in getting some of the other cheating OPEC nations in line. We're not seeing any kind of a bump in U.S. production. You think if we get to 80 on oil, it's a long way. It's a long way, Tom. We're not saying we will, but if we get to 80, the XLE, long left on the trash heap of stocks, could have 45% upside. Uh, yes, and that, that's going to be a real surprise for most institutional investors. Um, you know, XLE or energy is a, XLE is a proxy for the energy sector is already up about 30% year to date. But in fact, if oil, as you point out, does go to, to 80 and the XLE price relationship holds to oil, we're, we're talking about another 45% move or bringing the total gains for the year close to 80%. And I think it would just be uh, a huge chase by institutions or ultimately what, you know, what would be seen as FOMO. Yeah, fear of missing out, and we'll see because oil has maybe been so unloved and so forgotten that any move could get people's attention right quick. Tom, I want to say thank you to you and the tireless Ken, as you call them in the research reports. Mm -hmm. They have, for me at least, become nightly reading. You know, I've posted a lot of it. I'll continue to do it. Thanks for bringing a little bit of hope and optimism out there, Tom. We appreciate it. Great. Thanks, Brian. All right, stuff like Tom pointing out, you know, 16 of the 17 worst counties are all in Michigan for COVID. Headlines are up, but remember, you got to dig into the data. All right, still on deck. A scary story about that video you're seeing right there. New details on the investigation into a deadly Tesla crash where apparently nobody was actually behind the wheel of the car. That's next. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome back. Now to this morning's U.S. vaccination update. A major milestone, half of American adults have now received at least one dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. In all, more than 200 million shots have been given. 32% of U.S. adults fully vaccinated, more than 83 million adults, or 32% of the total American adult population are now indeed fully vaxxed. This as we still wait on word about J&J's vaccine. Another panel set to meet Friday on how to proceed after its, quote, pause last week. Dr. Fauci over the weekend saying he would be surprised if the vaccine is not given the green light even with restrictions or some new warnings. Now, in the meantime, China's CanSino Biologics will start clinical trials for a COVID-19 vaccine administered through inhalation beginning next week. According to the company's CEO, such a vaccine could be more effective than those injected given that the coronavirus enters the human body through airways like your nose. And the EU has exercised an option to acquire an additional 100 million doses of the BioNTech-Pfizer vaccine. This brings the total number of doses to be delivered to the 27-member block to 600 million in 2021. All right, now to auto news and the battle between EV makers that will challenge Tesla. It's all playing out at the Shanghai Auto Show today. 
which is actually an auto show with thousands of people inside of a building and cars. And also Eunice Yoon, who is there for us. Eunice, great to see you again and great to see you at an actual, by gosh, conference with other people. I Absolutely. I know. Usually uh, when in the past, when I've been asked to cover a card show, you know, tell the team, OK, get ready for the crowds. But this time it was like, get ready for the crowds. We're really excited to be here because it is a physical space venue. Lots of people here. Um, and um, one of the main themes that we're seeing is the fact that there are so many companies that are pushing EVs, including a lot of brands that have been holding off until now. Take, for example, GM's Cadillac. It unveiled the Lyric. Uh, this is a, a, a company, a, a car that's based off of the company's Ultrium EV technology. And it was supposed to make a debut in the U.S., uh, but because of the pandemic, had been held off till now. Also, Ford is uh, showcasing its Mustang Mach-E. This is a Chinese version. And the company said it's going to be making that car in China for the Chinese market. And what's interesting is that, of course, we know that the EV market is a huge one here, uh, but it's largely been dominated by Chinese car makers and Chinese startups, uh, all taking the lead of, of Beijing's supportive policies. Uh, but this time, more and more, uh, we are starting to see foreign companies that up till now has been kind of hesitant about really jumping all in on electrification because they weren't necessarily so convinced that this was the way to go, do now think, Brian, that this is the way to go. And part of that is because uh, the market here has become more mature when it comes to EVs and also because Beijing's policies are becoming much more supportive of electrification. And, and Eunice, what's it just the cool stuff with the cars? I love all the EV stuff, but but I want to know just what's it like? I was invited to my first in-person conference in a couple of weeks. Hope to go. <laughs> it's in the U.S. Midwest. What's it like just to go back? You know, you guys, we've said this since the beginning. You're sort of our crystal ball. Of course, you're way ahead of us now. And well, much of it. What's it like? To, is it nerve wracking? Is everybody still in a mask? What is it like being at the conference yeah. itself? Well, of course, there are a lot of protocols here. So we do have to wear masks. Um, in theory, supposed to be socially distancing, though that hasn't necessarily worked out so well. People are carrying around signs with the reminders, but um, that part it hasn't been done so much. Uh, there are um, temperature screenings. And then before we got here, we were asked and required to submit a negative COVID test. So there are a lot of different um, uh, protocols in order to try to make sure it's safe. But once you're here, it really feels like a regular car show. And uh, um, on the one hand, as I mean, you had suggested, there's a little bit of a nerve. You know, I feel kind of nervous at times, especially when people get close or if, if you know, they're socially, they're not socially distancing yeah. and, and sometimes taking a mask off. But uh, but for the most part, it's it's nice. It's exciting. It feels normal, which is, you know, not normal these days. Yeah, no, it, it's so great to see you there. It's so great to see a conference going on. We're all looking forward to that as well. And our, our amazing crystal ball, Eunice Yoon, as always. Thank you, Eunice. We'll see you again soon. Take care. All right, straight ahead. Blackouts and crackdowns. Details on the crypto recent run and why it was such a wild ride over the weekend. 
Morgan Creeks, Mark Yusko is keeping a 10-foot pole, though, between him and Dogecoin. He'll talk about all of it coming up. And if you have not already, subscribe to our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, don't worry. Download it, stream it on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify. I think it's got a four and a half rating. It was like one guy gave it a one because he didn't like me or something. That's the point. Give it a good review. Download it. Worldwide Exchange. Dow Futures down 85. We're back right after this. Where have all the retail traders gone? Where have they gone? Markets hovering at all-time highs, but a new note from Goldman Sachs revealing the number of individual investors has seen a huge drop. Also seeing a big drop, at least over the weekend, the price of Bitcoin. But it's coming back after being pummeled from recent highs over growing crackdown fears. Morgan Creek's Mark Yusko is here to break it all down. And the Reddit trader known as Roaring Kitty foregoing profit and doubling down on his bet on GameStop. We'll tell you how and why. It is Monday, April 19th, and this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Well, welcome or welcome back, everybody, and good Monday morning. Thanks for joining us. I'm Brian Sullivan. All right, let's get right to it. Get a check on your money and your markets. That's why you're here, right? I mean, aside from all of us. All right, as we're halfway through the 5 a.m. hour, could start the week with a little bit of weakness. We are seeing Dow futures off about 80 points, still coming off a lot of strength. Let's be clear. Markets have been soaring in April. Dow and S&P up four weeks in a row. NASDAQ up three. Pretty much every single global market in the world, literally every single one except for India, is higher in April. We have just seen a lot of global strength and a lot of strength here in the United States. Get to more on that in just a minute. Now to some of this morning's top stories on this Monday. New details emerging in the deadly crash involving a Tesla in Texas. According to our NBC affiliate in Houston, police say that nobody was behind the wheel when the 2019 Model S crashed into a tree and burst into flames Saturday night, unfortunately killing both men inside. Now, one man was found in the front passenger seat, the other in the rear passenger seat. The New York Times reported that minutes before the crash, the wives of the men involved heard them say they wanted to go for a drive and were talking about the vehicle's autopilot feature. Sad story there. Well, a group of U.S. electricity companies reportedly telling President Biden they plan to work with the White House and Congress to try to cut carbon emissions. According to Reuters, the group of 13 companies sent a letter to the president stressing that lawmakers should implement policies to ensure that electricity industry cuts carbon emissions by 80% by the year 2030. And the SPAC's frenzy crashes, apparently hitting some of the followers of Chamath Palihapitiya particularly hard. According to Bloomberg, all six of Palihapitiya's social capital called Hedisophia-linked blank check companies, that's the name of them, they're one through six, have plunged more than the broader SPAC market since it all hit its peak back in mid-February. You follow that? Now, they are still up since their market debuts, but they are down more than other SPACs. And the day trader known as Roaring Kitty, who helped inspire or maybe start the GameStop short squeeze, is apparently doubling down 
upping his stake in the retailer. Keith Gill, that's his actual name, exercised his 500 GameStop call options that expired Friday, giving him 50,000 more shares at an average strike price of just 12 bucks. Gill also bought 50,000 more GameStop shares themselves directly, bringing his total investment to 200,000 shares of GME. I will say it for Keith Gill, the man has nerve. All right, cryptos getting hit hard over the weekend, just days after the much-talked-about public debut of Coinbase. Bitcoin bouncing back this morning after being down over $12,000 from its Wednesday high. Now, meantime, Dogecoin, we have to talk about it, is still soaring, up 280% over just a matter of days. Doge was sitting at five cents. At one point yesterday, it was up over 40 cents, a 700% gain in two weeks. That's right, 760% gain in two weeks. Of course, Dogecoin, which was literally started as a joke, really has no use case major and, and no intention apparently of creating one. But the crypto is moving all the same. All this coming amid fears of a new U.S. Treasury crackdown on cryptos and an apparent blackout in China in a region that powers much global Bitcoin mining. In other words, let me sum up all of what I just said. A lot of stuff happened in the last 36 hours. Let's bring in our friend, Mark Yusko, CEO of Morgan Creek. Mark, good to have you on. Um, I know from the Twitter that you think I'm going to ask you about the recent drop and fears of a regulatory headline and a crackdown, just like I did months ago. You said you're going to buy it, and you were right, and it's gone up. That's not what I'm going to ask you at all. Are you selling everything you own and putting it into Dogecoin? Ah, you know, I, I wish we could just not talk about Dogecoin. Uh, to me, Dogecoin is is everything that's wrong. It epitomizes everything that's wrong with the markets today. Just like GameStop, uh, look, it, it's cult behavior. Uh, it's liquidity from stimulus checks. It's pure speculation, and uh, it will end badly. Well, do you, do you think it's like the game we all used to play as kids, right? I mean, the musical chairs. I mean, at some point, the music ends and, and somebody is standing without the chair. Do you think Dogecoin, it sounds like you do, is simply just, I'm going to sell it to you at a higher price because I can until it stops going up. Let's just keep doing this. Yeah, look, at, at least, Brian, with, with musical chairs, at least there was a chair. There's no chair here. There's, there's nothing here. I uh, said, so this is pure speculation. And, you know, there's a lot of examples of this all across the markets, actually all around the world, where people are, are literally using the gamification of markets as an excuse to, quote unquote, invest. It's not investing. It's not even trading. It's, it's just pure Ponzi-nomics. And we've kind of socialized this whole idea that it's okay. Um, I said, I... I really don't want to talk about it, but, uh, you know, you are the host, so I have to uh, go along. Well, well, Mark, 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 to be fair, we're not talking about Dogecoin itself, I think. And I, I agree with you 100 percent. What we're talking, you and I have been doing this for 20 some, 25, whatever years. We're talking about whatever asset class it is, Dogecoin, uh, whatever it may be, the idea that there are dangerous 
frothy markets out there. I don't know if Dogecoin is dangerous, but we do have to say, be careful. Do we, right? So I, I agree. I'm not, I don't want to talk about Dogecoin itself in as much as the, the frenzy. It's gone from a nickel to 40 cents. On no news, makes no sense. Yeah, look, I, I mean, that's exactly right, Brian, is, is just the awareness of these types of, of movements is really important, right? You, know, you were just talking about Roaring Kitty and, and GameStop and, and the, you know, the Redditors, which does sound like Predators, right? And, and I think the, this total gamification of, of investing, right? You and I have been talking about this, you know, coming up on three decades, hard to believe, uh, and we've actually talked about this construct of of investing and what it means to put capital to work and what it means to to buy things that have good management and and good ideas and and good businesses. Uh, this is not that. This is what happened in 2000. Uh, yeah. When you get to a bubble, when you get excess liquidity, and you get people believing that they can buy anything that moves, and that's okay. Um, that's just gambling, right? And you know, there's a predilection toward gaming and gambling uh, in the world. You know, there's lots of businesses built around that, and uh, I think this is just a really bad example of of an extreme of that behavior. I, I'm going to put something up on social today or tomorrow. I think, Mark, everything you need to know about right now, you can learn from Forbes covers from 1999. I'm not joking. I found covers talking about digital money about how kids were taking over Wall Street and scaring the, the, quote, establishment, about how you're not smart, not you, but we are all not smart enough to understand all the new technology. Man, it, it, it rang true. Anywho, let's talk about real news, some good news out of China. A Chinese official coming out and calling Bitcoin, quote, an investment alternative. Not exactly yeah. a ringing endorsement, but not exactly a takedown either. And any even slightly positive commentary from China and other big regulators has got to be perceived as positive, does it not? Sure, especially when that, when that uh, commenter is uh, related to the central bank of China. Look, I, I believe that, that uh, Bitcoin will be a central bank reserve asset. Uh, at some point, whether it be China, whether it be Europe, whether it be U.S., don't don't really know uh, who will go first. But but I absolutely believe this is a huge positive sign. You know, look, Bitcoin is is I think everything that's right with markets. This is a a long term monetary system. It is designed as an alternative store of value to fiat currencies, which are being destroyed all around the world. You know, just think about the dollar, right? We've created 40% of all the dollars that ever existed in the last 12 months. And when you do that, you devalue them. And it's because we have too much debt at government levels all around the world. So when you see central yeah. bank governors start to talk about an asset that they think could preserve wealth, we've seen that with corporations, with people like Michael Saylor. And uh, it's why, you know, so I have my hashtag, you know, hashtag probably a fad with a little wink. This is not a fad. This is not a Ponzi. Uh, this is something that's going to be yeah. with us for a very long time. And it is a great store of value, basically digital gold. Well, when we're literally printing, we're throwing around trillions of dollars. Like did, money is just a construct at this point, Mark. And by the way, you're going to love our RBI coming up in a few minutes. 
Very quickly, any other crypto you like besides Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, anything? Yep. Do do like Ethereum very much and, and like everything that's being built on Ethereum around DeFi, uh, Aave, Compound, uh, all of all of Wall Street will eventually end up uh, in smart contracts and we'll be able to do a lot of work even invest using decentralized yeah. demand. Well, good stuff there. And, and Mark, a good lesson. We, see, we talked about Dogecoin, but we didn't talk about Dogecoin. We just said to people, good luck, wish everybody well, but be careful. Mark Yusko, a real pleasure. Thank Thank you, Mark. All right, take care. All right, coming up, Diana Olick will join us and look at the booming business of helping homeowners caught in the growing path of floodwaters worldwide. It's the latest in her rising risk series, and you got to hear it as well. Worldwide Exchange is back in just a moment. Welcome back. Well, President Biden will this week turn his attention to climate change with a summit that will focus on carbon emissions, but will also touch on sectors of the economy, including real estate. Diane Olick joining us now on a look at how some coastal homeowners are battling increasingly frequent and severe flooding without actually moving to higher ground. It's all part of her continued Rising Risk series. Santo Siciliano adores living by the water. I grew up on shore, so for me, it's it's a no-brainer. But the flood risk to his Oceanport, New Jersey home is getting higher. So in order to stay, he needed to lift the house higher. It's just something that, unfortunately, that we're we're faced with, you know, whether it's climate change or, or anything else. The Sicilianos lifted their home because when they decided to renovate, they had to comply with new local flood zone building codes. Theirs is now one of several houses on the street that was lifted. It's fairly safe. It's down to an art. Ryan Hess is a foreman for Wolf House and Building Movers. He's lifted all kinds of homes, from small ones like this to 7,000 square foot mansions. We had a lot of work from Hurricane Sandy. And there will be plenty more. New Jersey tops the list of states with the most homes that, based on projected sea level rise, will see at least one major flood per year by 2050. More than 70,000 homes, according to Climate Central. It's followed by Florida, California, Louisiana, and North Carolina. From homes on the Jersey Shore to a 2,000-ton historic waterfront building in San Francisco. As the water rises, so too must the real estate. Any of the coastal areas, any of the areas with large rivers. Michael Bravant has been in the house lifting business for nearly two decades, working residential and commercial projects. He says lifts start around $10,000 for a small home to over a million dollars for a large historic building. The more that things flood, the more there's going to be a need for it. For some, the flood risk is all part of the waterfront reward. And so they try to rise above it. We're sure people, something about not being able to get to the beach in less than 10 minutes, that's something I want to do. The risk from rising water is high, but the risk of lifting the house is actually not that bad. These companies say it's a precise, gentle, almost ginger practice that happens very slowly and carefully, of course. You can actually, in most cases, leave your furniture inside. That said, there can, of course, be damage, and that's why there is special insurance for these jobs for both the company and the homeowner. Brian? Yeah, pretty amazing to see some of these, I mean, big, not just small homes, big homes, being lifted up. Uh, uh, Amazing stuff. Diana, I want to flip gears a little bit because 
I read an article over the weekend in the Wall Street Journal, which just kind of was it summed up real estate right now and the problem with inventory. According to the journal, there are now more real estate agents in America than there are homes for sale. Is that because everybody now wants to be a realtor again because they see it as easy money, no homes for sale or some vicious combo? Okay, well, I'll just say we did that story as well a couple of weeks ago when you were off. So (laughs) Wall Street Journal, great. But I also just want to say a lot of (laughs) people. I know. But, you know, come on, you got to give credit. Anyway, yes, that is definitely a story that are a lot more real estate agents. And that's because a lot of agents got into the business during the pandemic, just at a time when there was so much demand that homes were flying off the shelf. We literally have the tightest housing market in history. That comes from a decade of underbuilding after the housing crash. All this demands for homes, investors buying homes to turn into rentals. There's just nothing for sale. The hope was that more would come on this spring, but really a lot hasn't. People, sellers are still reluctant, despite how much money they can get for their homes, to put them on the market during the pandemic, especially when there's still some unknowns going forward on variants, etc. So, yes, it is an incredibly tight market. It's a very pricey market. And until we see more construction, it's not going to get that much better. You know, Diana, I don't feel bad about not watching the network every day, but I should have I should have at least listened to the podcast, Worldwide Exchange, by the way, available on Spotify, Apple, and others. Then I would have heard you do that story, and, and we would have not had this entire segment. <laughs> no problem. This is, why I like Diana. this is why I like Diana. She takes no guff. Diana, thank you very much. Diana, look, breaking news. Journal, you should cite Diana. All right. We're back after this. Talk more about the markets, your money, and an RBI. You're going to want to hear about cash. Stick around. Time now for your morning RBI. And today, let's get random but interesting about money. Because it seems like nobody likes it anymore, at least in England. Okay, okay. I'm sure they love the idea of money. And of course, money is increasingly just becoming an idea. But it does appear that actual cash may be coming to a pretty quick end. According to a new survey from Merchant Advice Service in the UK, 64% of all adults there have not completed any transaction at all with cash in the past year. 61% of those surveyed say they've adopted some kind of new payment method in that time. And taps, not touches, are in vogue. 77% say they have made a contactless payment for the first time. Naturally, Much of this was started due to COVID. And every one of us, a few, you know, at the beginning of it, were afraid to touch anything in those first couple of scary months. But sometimes black swan events can supercharge trends that are already just getting going. And as we come out of the pandemic, many things will get back to so-called normal. And we'll be out and about more and everywhere, it seems. But apparently, the ATM machine, is this actually the end of cash? Well, in the UK, just might be random and hopefully interesting. All right, let's talk more now about the broader markets and your money. And we're keeping a close eye on things like fear, because apparently nobody's afraid anymore. The VIX down nearly 30% this year at its lowest level since January of last year, pre-COVID. And in a note over the weekend, Goldman Sachs citing falling retail trading as a key contributor to the drop-off in the VIX, saying online retail brokerage daily average trades have dropped 
sharply, and call option volume has dropped to its lowest level since late 2020. For more on the markets and your money, we're joined by Kate Faddis, founder and CEO of Grace Capital. Kate, good to see you again. I, I guess that everybody's given up on stocks and is just buying Dogecoin, but that, I'm sure that's actually part of it. That's not the road for you. You like strong, you like steady, and you like a bank called PNC Financial, which, despite being huge, doesn't seem to get hardly any love out there. Hi, Brian. How are you? I love PNC. I, PNC gets no love. Don't know why. Although, by the way, it's done extremely well this year. It's done extremely well since November. They had they reported earnings. They were good. Mainstream bank, this is not Goldman Sachs or JP Morgan with a lot of investment banking revenue. It's a mainstream bank. So earnings were flattish, revenues flat to slightly down. But look, they're buying up uh, BBVA's American assets. I think PNC is a great, a great, we own it. We love it. We're going to keep owning it. Okay, good, good. Yeah, it's this company that everybody I talked to is like, man, really well run company, but just doesn't seem to get the attention of some of the others. I just want to say the word Mongo, MongoDB. This is the, all the database kids apparently are telling me that Oracle is out, Mongo is in. Who is Mongo and why do you like them? I like Mongo. Okay, I'm, I'm going to try to keep this brief for you, Brian. So, you, you know, back when the original database was created, this was 1970s technology. Data was very, very expensive. So they had to keep everything tightly packed. You know, think about a car. What's the best way to store cars in a garage? Best way is to dismantle the cars and put everything in order. Mongo comes along. It's cloud computing. They're like, no, we don't have to do that anymore. Data is cheap now. We can keep the car together. We don't have to put all the tires in one place and then have a programmer say, bring me the tire. Bring me the this. Bring me the that. Programmers love it. Kids love it. By the way, the market is still growing. Mongo does not have to steal Oracle's share. It's a $70 billion market. Mongo has revenues of less than a billion. We think it's got a long runway to go. Yeah. And quickly, all the attention has been on COVID the last 13 months for good reason, but we forget there's still a lot of bad stuff out there, a lot of cancer, NovoCure, a name you like. NovoCure, love NovoCure. Okay. Uh, very innovative. Now you've got brain cancer. Guess what? You don't have to have chemo. You don't have to have radiation. They put something like a swimming cap on your head. Okay, put the swimming cap on your head and it literally zaps the cancer, keep, keeps the good stuff and takes away the bad stuff. Guess what? Good news. They've just been. You, you, you heard the music, Kate. Not my call. It's called the end of the show. There's another show behind us called Squawk Box that wants to go on the air. They're champing at the bit. Kate Faddis, we'll get you back on again soon. Finish the top the talk about Novacure. We like Mongo. We like PNC. Kate, have a great day and a great week. Thank you very much. Goes fast, folks, but I got to turn it over to Squawk Box. They're like, they're like thoroughbreds in the gate. They are ready to go, and I don't want to take a second away from them. I'll see you tomorrow on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box, coming up hard in lane three, is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. 
but there's only one McCrispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.